Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Man, great time of worship this morning, church family. That last line, mm, and you will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. All eyes will look upon your glorious face shining like the sun. Who is like you, God? Powerful truths in that song. We're going to be talking about the subject of holiness here this morning. I've entitled the message, Living a Holy Life. And if you've got your Bibles, I want to go ahead and encourage you to go ahead and open to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 through chapter 2, verse 3. We'll get right into chapter 2 this morning. And I want to go ahead and just uh, shuffle us around if we need to. If you, if you did not get a copy of the First Peter journal, the ESV journal that we're using to follow along with, if you want to, you can raise your hand just for a moment. We've got some copies. Anybody? Miss Pam's one of them. Uh, Richie, if you don't mind. Thank you, brother. Richie's passing around some of the journals. So if you did not get one, just uh, hold your hand up and he will get you one of those. But those journals are used. It's got the scripture in there, and it's got the journal section on the right-hand side where you can take notes and follow along with us this morning. But uh, as, we, as we move into this time, I want to encourage everybody, if you, if you are used to, when we were gathered together corporately before COVID started, we would take up our tithes and offerings usually during this time as we move into the message. And so if you want to give online, you can at homesavenue.com forward slash give, or you can give your tithe as we leave this morning from our worship gathering. But I want to I catch you up for a minute just to bring you up here. If you weren't able to be with us last week, we started the book of 1 Peter last Sunday, the, the series entitled Sojourners. And we're, we're looking at this idea and this concept of how we are called and we've been born again to this living hope. And we are sojourners in this world. Yes, we are American citizens here in America today, but we are ultimately citizens of heaven. If you are a, a follower of Jesus Christ, that has been bought with Christ's blood. And so we're looking at this idea and this subject matter of being a sojourner. We're carrying ourselves through the, first Peter, the book of 1 Peter, verse by verse each week. And i got to tell you, if you weren't here last week, Pastor Walter set the ground. I mean, he knocked it out of the park. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to that, go back on our Facebook page, go back on the website and listen and watch. It was a powerful, powerful time of worship. And so this idea and this subject matter of being born again to this living hope and being a sojourner, today we're going to kind of follow up from that, starting in verse 13, and look at this idea of being called to be holy, living a holy life. So with that said, I want to encourage you to go to stand together as we honor the reading of God's Word as we read 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. And the word of the Lord says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you 
who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh like grass and all its glory like the flowers of the grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Starting in chapter two. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. You truly are holy. You are worthy of our praise and our adoration, Lord, and you are worthy of your word being proclaimed. So, Lord, I pray specifically for this time as your word is being proclaimed. I pray, God, that you would speak through me, Lord. Let this be nothing of myself, Lord. You have your way in this place today. Lord, I pray for Pastor Adam as he's already preached once this morning as he's about to preach again. I pray, God, that you would speak boldly through him and use him, Lord. Use restoration as they continue to impact Miami Street, the city of Hanahan, and the surrounding areas. May you be glorified, Lord. We love you and we bless you. In Christ's strong name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so we're going to go ahead and dive right in. I want to encourage you to be taking notes. If you, if you have not uh, already started to, to, please do so. The point number one that we're going to look at, starting with verse 13, is to live a holy life imitating God. Live a holy life imitating God. Verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Bless you. Peter is indicating that because of this revelation of Christ, salvation to us, we are to prepare our minds for action. Now we see there at the very beginning of the verse, Peter says, therefore, and anytime you've heard us say this, anytime you've heard us say it, we've said it before over and over, anytime you see the word therefore, or you see the word so, you have to understand what it's there for. It's following up on something that has just been said. And so this is a follow-up from what we heard Pastor Walter preach specifically last week. This idea of being born again to this living hope and, and living our lives in a manner that is worthy of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, much like Paul talks about in Philippians. But he's telling us, because of these things, prepare your minds for action. He says to prepare our minds. What does this mean? Well, this can also be read as gird up the loins of your minds. You might say, well, gird up the loins of your mind. What, what, what do you mean by that? And it's this idea, this term is, is to present the idea in our minds of the practice of gathering one's long robe, okay, before they go in to do something, and they're, they're tying it off and pulling it between the legs, and they're wrapping that so that it's around the way, the, their waist to prepare for running. So you imagine you're wearing a robe and you're, you're taking that and you're tying it up to be around your, your waist so you don't go to trip over yourself as you're running. You're preparing yourself for that. So Peter is telling us to prepare our minds for action. To prepare our minds for action. He paints this picture to his readers and to us as followers of Christ today in 2020 in the midst of craziness that is going on around us to prepare our minds for active work work. 
The life of the follower of Jesus Christ is not one that is to be set on the sidelines and do nothing. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we are to live our lives in complete surrendered obedience to God and prepare our minds for action, to prepare our minds for what is to come, to not just sit idly by and wait. I love how Peter H. Davids says in his commentary, Peter makes it clear that he is using the image as a metaphor by stating clearly mind, which indicates not an intellectual process in general, but a mental resolve and preparation. Prepare yourselves mentally for the work. Prepare yourselves mentally for action. And in doing so, we're living this life that's holy, imitating our great God. Peter also says there in verse 13, he says, And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This idea of being sober-minded refers to the necessity of having complete clarity of mind. Having a mind clear, sober, not on things that are sinful, not on things that are not of God, not on things that are not to bring Him glory. We need to be alert, church family. We need to be alert. We need to be prepared. We need to be focused and alert and ready for the imminent revelation of Christ that is coming. There's a day coming when Jesus, the day of the Lord, where he is going to come back. And every day while we are on this earth, no man knows the day nor the hour. Christ Jesus even said that he himself, the son, did not know that day. Now we can look and we can see many different things and say, well, maybe this hasn't happened yet, this hasn't happened yet. We see things going on in the world and people say, well, maybe the end times are coming. Whatever it may be, none of us know the day or the hour of which Christ Jesus is going to return. Yet we should be living each and every day pursuing holiness. Pursuing to bring God glory with our lives, ready and willing to do the work in which he has called us to. And as I've already said, not sit idly by. Our hope as citizens of heaven, as sojourners here in this world, is to look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Are you longing for the day of Christ's return? Amen. Are you longing for that day to come? Are you longing for the day when you, follower of Jesus Christ, see Jesus face to face? I long for that day. Now, I would be foolish to think that only at the age of 32 that I've got years and years and years of life still ahead of me and that I'll be an 85 or 86-year-old man. The reality is that my life could end at the age of 32. But the hope that I have in Jesus is that no matter when my last breath happens in this body, I will be in the presence of the Lord. And I have the promise of what is to come. And I hope that you have that same promise. So if you do have that same promise and you have surrendered and are a follower of Jesus Christ, I ask you, are you preparing your mind soberly, waiting, longing for that day of Christ's return? Waiting, longing even for the day when you see Him face to face. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
Here we see the beginning of this long run-on sentence that, that is several verses that Peter is doing, and I'm still going to do verse by verse from the way we've got it broken down in our English translation. But first here in verse 14, Peter highlights the fact that we are children of God, adopted into his family. That is the fact that we live our lives in obedience to him. We must be obedient children to our great God, our Father. You think of it in a parent-child relationship. The, the child, no matter what the age, is to be obedient to the parent. There's authority established there. The, the parent, the father or the mother, or both to that child, there is authority. And that child should be an obedient child and, and be submissive to that parent's authority. The same is true for us. We have been adopted into God's family. We are His children. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God. Therefore, you should submit yourself under the authority of God. You should live a holy life that is pleasing to Him. Peter here says to not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. This phrasing here that Peter is saying, it's similar to that of another passage in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says in Romans 12:2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This carries the truth, church, of not permitting or pattering, excuse me, our actions after something, specifically the passions of our former ignorance, specifically sin. Do not follow the course of this world. Do not do the things that are sinful, yet praise God every day of your life. Be obedient to Him. Follow Him. Pursue holiness to Him. We, as His children, are called to be obedient children and live our lives separated from the patterns of this world to bring Him glory. Verse 15, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. God is holy. We remember from when we look at the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer in Matthew 6, we see how we cry out to Him when we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. That, that model is teaching us and showing us that when we address God the Father, we address Him as holy because He is worthy of that. He is holy. He is sovereign over this world. He reigns supreme. He sits on His throne and will never be moved. And we, as sinful people, are given the opportunity to be adopted into his family because of Christ Jesus' sacrifice and get to cry out to him and get to live our lives in obedience to him in all of our conduct, church, in every single thing that we do. That means that we live a life of obedience with everything. That means when we look at the ways in which we're doing our, our finances, when we look at the way in which we're, we're doing our education, when we look at the way in which we just go about living our lives, the way that we are in our workplace, no matter what it is, God has called us to those specific things and he's called us to manage those things and live our lives in those things in obedience to him. It's this pursuit of holiness. It's all for God's glory. 
This doesn't mean that we just come and check a box on Sunday morning and then we go about living our lives hell-free Monday through Saturday. It means that the same way that we present ourselves on Sunday is the way in which we live our lives the rest of the week in obedience to him. Proclaiming the good news of the gospel, praying literally every day on our knees when we wake up. Father, thank you for breath in my lungs. Use the mouth that I have and the voice that you have given me to go and proclaim the gospel to somebody today. Father, use me to go next door and talk to my neighbor who I know just by the way in which they live and the way they talk, they are obviously lost. Give me the obedience to you. Give me the boldness to walk in that obedience. And proclaim the gospel as I've built that relationship. This also means that as we're living our lives daily, as we have conversations with people, the old phrase was around the, the, the watering hole at work. Because of COVID, we don't even have water in our office right now. <laughs> we have bottles of water. But you can't even have this. Whether it be around the dinner table, whether it be around the yard, at the fence, whether it be at the dinner table with family members that you only see in the, in the coming months if you do decide to have Thanksgiving and all that, which I plan to do so. When you have these conversations with people and the topics of politics come up, the topics of racial tension comes up, the topics of the craziness that is happening in our world, when all of these different topics come up, we still live a life of holiness and we conduct ourselves in a manner that praises God and brings Him glory. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We should be holy for He is holy. Look at verse 17. Excuse me. Let, me. let me go back to 16 for a minute. Again, it says, you shall be holy for I am holy. Peter completes this idea with this sentence pointing to something that we see here in the Old Testament. Look at Leviticus 11, 44 through 45. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. God is making it clear to the Israelites in that passage. Listen, no matter what, you are to pursue holiness. You are to live this way. I am holy, therefore you shall be holy. Jesus actually quotes this passage in a way in Matthew 5, 48, when he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now we see that word there in the English and we freak out. Because we see that Jesus says, you shall be perfect. And we say, I am not perfect. You may think you're perfect, but you're not perfect. We are not perfect people. We are sinful people. We cannot follow anything of the law. That is why Jesus had to come in the first place. The same is true for anybody, any course of time, throughout all of history. No one is perfect. There was only one. His name is Jesus Christ who came and lived the perfect life, set the perfect example to then forego and do the most selfless thing possible and be beaten, mocked, flogged, nailed to a cross where God's wrath poured out on him in our place 
So when Jesus says there to be perfect, it's this idea of although you cannot physically be perfect in this life because of your sin, you have been bought with a price through Jesus' sacrifice. And you are to still live a life pursuing holiness, pursuing Christ-likeness, living your life in the best way possible that brings Him glory. Not to just be a good boy or a good girl, but to bring Him glory and honor. So when people see you and they say, man, there's something different about you, you can point back and say, it's because of what Jesus has done in me. It's nothing of myself. Because if it was of myself, I wouldn't be projecting this way. It's all because of what has happened to me and being sanctified by Christ. Secondly, live a holy life fearing God. Live a holy life fearing God. Look at verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. Peter says to call or appeal to God our father. Church, let's just stop there for one quick moment. We get to call out and appeal to the God over this world. We get to cry out and appeal to the I am. There is no God greater than our God. Our God, capital G. Any other little made-up God, little g. We get to cry out to the one who literally spoke everything into existence. And it's because of the finished work of Jesus that we get to do so. What an amazing gift that we get to have to call upon his name. Peter says that, that God judges impartially there in the first part of verse 17. He says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially. And we've seen that word impartially over the last several months. For example, we were in the book of James over the summer. James 2.1, he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And then Paul in Romans 2.11 says, For God shows no partiality. It's not, I, I reference those two to point out to you the fact that it's not just in one place of the Bible and maybe it's just this one thing that maybe they wrote and it's just there. No, there's other places that point to the same truth. God shows no partiality, therefore we should not. Peter tells the reader to conduct themselves with fear. Now we've used that word fear, and we've talked about that in the past, but let's look at that in the context of what he's saying there. He's saying there in verse 17, he says, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. Conduct yourselves with fear towards God. This is not this way of saying, oh, I am terrified of you. I don't want anything to do with you. I'm scared of you. No, this is coming before God and saying, Lord, I respect you and I honor you and I fearfully, reverently come before you in fear. Because of who you are. That last line that I quoted at the beginning of the sermon from that song that we just sang. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. It is because he is sovereign over this world. He has the power to do so. Nobody else has that power. Nobody else is deserving of that power. Nobody else can, can do anything besides God. God is most high. He is all deserving of our glory and our worship. Therefore, we must 
walk in obedience and walk in fearful reverence towards him. Here we also see how he says the fact that he's deserving of our worship and, and God judges those justly according to each one's deeds. Just like that verse that I just referenced, that, that last line of that song. He judges. The reality is that there are people, and this is why we continually press forward on the mission. The reality is that there are people when their breath no longer breathes in their body and they see the time has come and they are no longer living on this earth. The reality is there are people that are going to be separated from God for eternity because they don't have the true living hope that we have been born to, those of us who are Christ followers. There are those who will be judged according to their sin that do not have the fact that Christ Jesus has purchased them with his blood because they are not saved. This should drive us again continually to being deployed, to continually focus on proclaiming the truth of the gospel for those that are lost around us. It should break our hearts that there are people that are lost that will not be with God for eternity because they do not know Christ Jesus. Finishing that statement throughout your time of exile, verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, continuing to 19, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Looking there in 18, Peter indicates how we are to live in fear while we are in exile, awaiting our heavenly home. We are sojourners. It's the reason why we have the promised guarantee, if you will, of life with Christ. We were ransomed. That word ransom, to set free, to redeem, to liberate. And you have to keep in mind in the Greco-Roman culture at this time, slavery was much different than the way in which we knew it in America. America was based specifically on prejudice against race. At this time in the Greco-Roman culture, it's mainly based on economics. So Sam Storms in his commentary says it this way, a slave would typically receive his freedom after money was deposited in the temple of a god or goddess, again, little g, of a god or goddess, and they paid to the slave's owner. The sum paid for the redemption or ransom was referred to as the price, and the slave was considered to have been redeemed by the deity. When Peter is talking here and he says that we were ransomed from the futile ways, he says that we were slaves to our sinful desires. We were slaves to our lives separated from God. Pastor Walter referenced the beginning of Ephesians 2 last week. I'll reference it again. It says that we followed the course of this world, the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is who we are before Christ. We are slaves to our sin. And because of that, we need redemption. We need Christ. That is why, but God is so powerful. But God, it, it indicates this notion that we have been radically transformed because of what Jesus has done. We have been transformed because of what he has done. He has ransomed us. He has saved us. He says, not with perishable things such as gold or silver. You know, when this world comes to an end, and there's a day coming when it will, when Christ Jesus returns and the new heavens and earth are established, 
Everything that we know it here, it won't be like we know it. Old saying, you can't take anything with you when you go. I think there's an old country song. I can't even remember. It was like an old country song that you can't hook something up to the back of the car. I can't even quote it right. You can't take everything. Like the, the, the hearse, as it pulls away, it doesn't pull away all your belongings and you get to take it with you. By that point, as we know, we are already dead. The reality is that this world, everything that we know it, it will perish. It will perish. The beauty of it is that we were purchased with something that was imperishable. He says there again, not with perishable things such as gold or silver. In the end, all of this stuff will perish. But look at the beauty of verse 19. Not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Church family, we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Now, we like to use that word precious a lot today. I, I'm biased, but I think my son is a precious boy. I think he looks so precious. Adeline's a precious little girl. We like to use that word and we like to reference it and say it's cute. It's adorable. But when we see this word precious here, specifically in the Greek, it is talking about how Jesus' blood is valued. It was costly. It is prized. So when Jesus Christ goes to the cross, it says there that it was of a lamb without blemish or spot. It's this imagery here of that of the Passover lamb and the frequent requirement that we see of a lamb without blemish found in the Old Testament sacrifices. For example, number 614. And he shall bring his gift to the Lord, one male lamb a year without blemish for a burnt offering, and one ewe lamb a year old without blemish as a sin offering, and one ram without blemish as a peace offering. And we know from the New Testament how Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. In John's Gospel, for example, as John the Baptist is there speaking, he says in 129, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's beauty in that. This is the spotless Lamb of God. The beautiful moment in time where all the prophecies of the Old Testament pointed to this coming Messiah that would save us, that would save us of our sins, that would be the one to come and save the day. And for many at that time, they all thought it was going to be this powerful warrior that would come in and take down those that were enemies of Israel. Yet after much time and of silence from God at the right beautiful time, Christ Jesus comes, what? In the form of a newborn child. The incarnation there before us that we read in the scriptures, the beginning of the gospels, and the beauty of Christ Jesus growing into this man, beginning his ministry and setting forth, living a perfect life, teaching those that followed him, that proclaimed the good news of what is to come. He discipled them. He trained them up so that he could in turn send them out to proclaim the good news of what is to come for what God has done through Jesus. And then that one moment of time, that follower, Judas, Scripture says there at the time of the Lord's Supper, he, Satan enters Judas. Not truly regenerate, not truly a follower of Jesus. And he goes to portray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. 
Jesus is beaten. He's mocked. And I know just about every time that I preach church that I reference this, but it's the gospel. And it needs to be said. He is beaten. He is mocked. He is flogged. The cat and nine tails ripping off his flesh. An innocent man that did not deserve it. Yet it was done so that prophecies would be fulfilled, so that God's redemptive plan would come to pass. Where he is nailed to the cross and God's wrath is poured out on Jesus. The precious blood of our Savior is pouring out to redeem us of our sin. It is because of this that we live holy lives in obedience for his glory. Verse 20 says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. The first thing that we see in these two verses is the very fact that Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Pastor Walter referenced this a little bit last week. But that moment in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned against God, it wasn't like God just walked up and said, Oh no, you guys sinned. What are we going to do? No, God knew what was going to happen. The beauty of it is that Christ Jesus is foreknown from the beginning that this would happen, that God's redemptive plan would come to pass. The second part of verse 20 says, was manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Christ's incarnation was made manifest for the purpose of God's redemptive plan. It was done in the last times, which points to the time of today, for example. Christ Jesus has come. He has died. He has resurrected from the grave. He has ascended to heaven and He sits at the right hand of God until the day He comes back. 21. It reads, who through Him, through Jesus, are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. It is for our sake that this happened, church. It is for our sake that God raised Christ from the dead, giving Christ authority over this world. Jesus says it right before He ascends into heaven at the Great Commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. That is our charge. That is our decree. What we have been told to do. Because He has authority, we are to walk in obedience and submission to that. Living holy lives. Peter states, so that your faith and hope are in God. Our faith and hope are in God alone. Just as Walter mentioned And I'm paraphrasing here last week. Nothing of this world deserves our complete allegiance other than God Almighty. Nothing else deserves our allegiance. No political party, no candidate, no person, no thing. Only God alone. Thirdly, live a holy life loving each other. 22 says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for the sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Right there in 22, we see how Peter establishes the necessity of living this holy life, imitating God and fearing him. Now he concludes with this section instructing believers how they are to love one another. 
based on what he has done for us. He says, having purified your souls. Our souls have been purified because of Christ's finished work and our redemption. Thank God for that. When God looks upon regenerate followers of Christ, he sees how Christ Jesus has covered us. We are his because of what Jesus has done. That righteousness. It says, by obedience to the truth. Because of the purification that has taken place in our continual growth through our sanctification process, we are to be obedient to the truth. The truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word directing us. As we are continually engaging the word of God daily, the Holy Spirit leading as we open the word of God. He says, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We are able to do this because of the truth of the gospel. He says to do so with a pure heart. Love each other purely, sincerely, caring for one another. 23, again, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. We have been born again. And it's not of some perishable seed like that of humans, which leads to death, but imperishable through the word of God, through what Jesus has done. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That is the word of God. 24 says, For all flesh like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass, the grass withers, and the flowers fall. The flower falls. Peter quotes this idea from Isaiah 46 through 8, and I won't read that to you. You can jot that down. Isaiah 46 through 8. It's got some grammatical differences, a little bit of wording difference, but it comes from there. He cites this in verse 24 to us to show that anything transient or impermanent should not have our confidence. Our confidence and our obedience should be to Christ and the Word of God. Because just as verse 25 says, the Word of the Lord remains forever. The Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. The Word of the Lord lives forever. It will go on forever. It is God's holy Word. And folks, we get just like I talked about earlier with prayer, we get to have access to the Word of God. There's many times where you can walk into my office, you can probably look around your home, and you see many copies of God's Word just sitting there. There are many people around this globe right now that are scratching and clawing, trying to get their hands on one of these, and we have access to it continually. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to stay in this Word Pursue holiness. Follow Christ. Lastly, the last point. Live a holy life nourished by the Word. Live a holy life nourished by the Word. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Put away all malice and all deceit and, and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Based on what we've seen thus far today through this passage of Scripture, finishing up chapter 1, moving into 2, we see that this verse, Peter makes it clear how we are to use certain elements to live a life of holiness. And here Peter lists out five different things that we are to put off because most certainly those things cannot live a life of holiness to God by the things that are mentioned here. He says first, put away all malice. 
which in this case means ill will towards others. It harms fellowship. Malice can also be the root cause of many of the other things that we see. Secondly, he says, put away all deceit. Put away all deceit. Speaking lies towards one another. Speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth to one another. Put away all hypocrisy. Put away all hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite. Do your best to proclaim the truth of the gospel. Live your life of holiness before others. Set a good testimony. He says, put away envy towards one another. Put away envy towards each other. Don't be envious of the other. He says, put away slandering of another. Slander is often motivated by a desire for revenge and self-enhancement, often driven by longing to deflect attention from our own failings. Sam Storm said that as well in his commentary, and I was like, wow, that's good. Nine times out of ten, probably ten times out of ten, we go to slander others to take the focus off of our own sin. We need not do that. Put it away. Secondly, in verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Some of you may read that verse and think that Peter is referencing this term milk like that of the writer of Hebrews. I'm not going to read it to you. You can write Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. But it is not the same way, not talking about spiritually immature and having to still take on that milk. What he's referencing here is not to mean that of being immature, but instead to reference the entire revelation of God's word. So when he says there, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, he's telling us to grow, continue to grow in your salvation and understanding of God through the scriptures. Pray to God daily as we are in the word of God, growing and living holiness, abiding and being nourished by the word that God would continually bring things to light in our lives that are sinful that we need to die to. Things that we need to confess, things we need to repent of. And pray that we continue to grow as we are growing in our sanctification. That we would grow in the knowledge of Christ so that we can be used by God for His glory. And lastly, in verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The beauty of this verse is that for anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, you have tasted the savoring goodness and the sweetness of God's grace to you. Aren't you thankful for that? That you have tasted that grace, that sweetness, the goodness of God. Now, I know that, you know, this could be hard to hear. This idea of living a holy life and pursuing that. You say, well, Brian, it's difficult for me just to, to, to try to be holy an hour of the day. I get it. I got days like that. But we need to wake up every day and, and look at this concept of, I'm a sojourner in this world. My citizenship is in heaven. And I need to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. So I want to ask you, Ben, you can come forward. During this time of, of reflection, we're going to move into a time of, of quiet reflection and prayer for a moment before the band sings. I want to ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, are you living a life of holiness? And if you can say, no, I, I honestly am not. Well, today's a day, a great day for you to repent and say, Father, teach me, show me through your word how to pursue this holiness. 
I'll be glad to talk with you. I'll be glad to pray with you. Pastor Walter would be glad to do the same. You may be sitting here, you might be listening online, and you might say, I don't know Jesus. So I don't know how to follow in this holiness. And I would say, well, that's because you're, you're not necessarily holy because you haven't been saved. But today could be a great day for salvation for you. Today could be a great day for you to be able to say, I want to know more about following Jesus. The Holy Spirit may be working in you right now and God drawing you to himself. If you're online and you're not with us, you see it there on your screen, homesavenue.com forward slash contact. Reach out to us, please. We will follow up with you and we'll be glad to tell you how to follow Jesus. If you're here and you need prayer and you want to talk to me, I'm going to be here off to the side as we sing this last song, Build My Life. What a great song to conclude this passage of Scripture with. This declaration that I want to build my life following you, Jesus. But before we sing it, I want us to, to stop and quietly reflect. Ask God, Lord, what is it that you are saying to me during this message? What have you said? What do you want me to do? And then I'll close this in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, hallowed be your name. Lord, I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful, Lord, that for myself and those in this room and those listening that proclaim Christ Jesus as Lord, we have the promise of eternal life because of Jesus' finished work. We have the promise because we have been ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus. Lord, I pray for everyone that is within the sound of my voice, whether in person or online right now. Father, I pray and I ask, God, that whatever you are speaking to them right now, Lord, that they would listen and they would walk in obedience and follow you however you're leading. For the one listening right now that identifies as a follower of Jesus that says, man, I am not living a life of holiness. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to repentance and that they would move forward in obedience to you, following you. And if they need help in doing that, Lord, that they would reach out. Lord, for the one that may be listening right now that doesn't identify as a follower of Jesus, Lord, I pray for them, Lord, that today may be the day of salvation for them. Father, that you would move and work right now. Father, whatever may be the case, Lord, have your way. We love you, Lord, and we bless you. In Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen.